0: Hey, you guys, it is A&J, and welcome back to episode three of A&J Podcast. Episode trace. Yay. Yay! So, of course, we're always so very thankful that you could have tuned into any podcast that you decided to tune into ours, and we absolutely appreciate it. So, of course, as we start off every show, reminding you that you can find us on Instagram at a underscore J podcast. You can find Jay at Big Talk underscore J, where he so enthusiastically posts once every six months. And of course, you can it's find me a little me,
1: bit more frequent than that. So, um.
0: <laughs> of course, you can find me at Apy Blog. So, if you joined us for last week's episode, then you know that we were discussing. Pretty serious topic, at least for the first like 45 minutes, which was um, chronic illness and having a mate or a spouse um, who, how you cope. Um, Jay, just to recap, is the fabulous father and husband that he is while he's dealing with a wife, little Omi, who's dealing with some chronic illness and just how to navigate that. It's not easy and we're by no means claiming to be know perfect or have all the answers the only thing we can do is share our experience
1: yeah i think that's the best way to sum it up because we're just taking the opportunity to share what works for us and hopefully it will inspire or trigger something in someone else's life or relationship to help them do better if you know better you do better so that's the logic behind it Hopefully, we're helping someone somewhere with our insight. And, you know, that's what we're here for. We, we're we not trained therapists or, no, 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 no. or like uh, trained broadcast personalities or anything like that. We're just a couple honest 30 somethings trying to share our life experience on parenthood and, you know, everything else in between of marriage, and
0: so on and so forth. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things, um, if you were tuned in last week, and um, that Jay mentioned was um, our underlying Christian values. And I recognize in hindsight that for those of you who personally know me, um, and you've known me for a while, you're probably wondering, like, what? Like, A, with Christian values, lies. And you'd be right to a certain extent. Because um, there definitely was a time in my life where I was not operating on the beliefs that were instilled in me as a youth. I was raised as one of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I left um, when I was young and, you know, I pursued a lifestyle that I thought I wanted. Um, So if you know me, and you know me personally, then you know that I was into a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're probably racking up. <laughs> A long, long list of things that I was into. Um, But, you know, about four years ago, I just decided that I wanted to return to my faith. Because I found that my life just was not as fulfilled. I wasn't happy. I felt like I didn't have the answers. I felt like um, I was really... Damaging my family in more ways than one, and I needed ways to correct that. So, um, I chose to go back to my faith, and I understand that for a lot of people, um, you know, you may not believe in that, you may not believe in Christian values, you may not believe in the Bible, and that's cool. We're not here to push that on you, but I do need people to be aware of that. So when I say certain things about how I feel currently, or when we refer to how we do things, we do align it with our, um, our spiritual beliefs at this time in our life. Um, So I never want anybody to feel like we're trying to push anything on them. We can only speak our truth from our point of view. Right. So
1: just to be clear, this podcast will not be used as a format for us to preach. Right. Though we definitely do that. That is not what this is for. This is an opportunity for us to be honest and open about our lives and also keep the show in a family friendly format so to speak even though the topics may not be something you want to share with your kids um they will be things that you won't feel uncomfortable if your children are listening to because we we definitely are going to keep this profanity free (laughs) um (laughs) we will talk about adult topics but it will not be um we won't get too preachy, you know. We not. Right. We didn't come here to preach tonight. <laughs> you know, my <among> <laughs> Arsenio <laughs> coming to America voice, but um, no, we we like A said, we do have morals and values that we strongly adhere to, and we cannot compromise them under any circumstances, um, regardless of how fun and enjoyable we want to keep our podcast. We also have to remember who we know, are. Who we are the perfect way to sum it up. So with that being said, once again, welcome. And let's start talking about tonight's topic, which is going to be uh, raising a child with, um, are we going to talk specifically
0: about his issues or just a child? Well, we can just talk about um, what it's been like for us raising a child with special needs. With special Um, needs, okay. So as most of y'all know, we've mentioned we're parents several times. I feel like that is like our <laughs> our claim to fame <laughs> is we're parents. Um, yeah. um we have three children, fifteen, ten, and um two. And um it's been a roller coaster ride. Um I, I would say with all of them because yeah. they all have their own specific Not so much Jack's, not the baby because
1: Well, yeah, that's not um I don't, no disrespect, yo,
0: but I do want to keep my kids' names out of right. Us, just for right there to protect the protect the, the identity. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like his name I, I use quite often because he was a hashtag. He was my rainbow baby, so no, he was baby Jacks on on the internet. Um, but anyway, but yeah, all um, our kids feel like,
1: and not to not to make fun of anybody's situation, but they also like special needs kids, mean because <laughs> they all.
0: Require I mean, they
1: all require their own unique form of attention and parenting, and you know, everybody has their own unique personality from the two year old to the 10 year old to the 15 year old.
0: But when we talk about special needs in this context, we're talking about our middle child specifically. Um, and again, um, for those of you who have read my blog, um, I've shared actually, um, Several times, I, th- I think twice, three at least three times, um, since I've started this blogging journey, um, about what his needs have been. So it begins with a diagnosis of ADHD, um, and that was inclusive of suspicion of him having Asperger's or being on the spectrum in some way, shape, or form. They were leaning more towards Asperger's, but also, um, I think the most unique of all would be the Tourette syndrome. Um, so, unless a dress off the
1: rip, like those kids that you see out there that are spitting cuss words every, you know, couple sentences or something like that. No, no light to their situation. Like they do exist, but they are probably the least common of
0: children and who they are. And I've actually covered that in my blog. Um, I highlighted that in my blog because I think when people hear. Tourette's, you know, it's what's it's stigmatized and it's what they put in the movies because it's more extreme and gets more of a shock value and more of a response and again, as Jay stated, not to take away from the severity of those who do suffer in that form. Um, it's the least common um, of Tourette's. So... It was a time, like, I didn't
1: even believe that he had it because... It was a long time before it was um, as dominant. It wasn't a dominant right. part of his his behavior. Like you, you didn't know it. I remember telling his teacher in third grade that he had uh, Tourette's, and she looked around one day and was like, "Don't one of these kids have Tourette's?" I don't even remember which one it was. Like she, she didn't know because it wasn't exhibiting itself very often at that time. But then you fast forward to a year later, and he definitely had a teacher who did not know how to deal with it, regardless of how much we advocated and talked to her, um, wrote letters, had conferences. It was just something that she didn't know how to handle. Thank God that she's retired from teaching now. Good Lord, she needed to. Um, she just was, you know, unfortunately, she was just an old school teacher who wasn't very understanding of it. Um, She thought it was something that he could control, and it's at the end of the day, something that he's rarely conscious of. Um, We hear, you know, I've asked, because I've talked, at first I thought he was just making noises again, not thinking that the things I was seeing were Tourette's. I thought, you know, and it it was complicated because at first it it can be annoying, it can be frustrating, Um, but as time goes on, and I've seen it become more of a dominant part of his day-to-day life, you know, it's something I would become hypersensitive to for him, like, I don't want people turning around and looking at him, and because he made a sound, because he whistled, you know, (laughs) out of nowhere, or um, he makes a funny noise when he clears his throat, or know,
0: any any of his things. I mean, the tits vary. I think it's important um, to give a little bit of an education on Tourette's. Um, So I have, like I said, in my blog, but if you're not a reader, then you haven't seen it. So some of the things to know about Tourette's is in order for you to even be diagnosed with Tourette's, first and foremost, it's a neurological disorder. Um, Two, um, it is usually coupled with a child who is on the spectrum or a child who has ADHD, you very rarely see any of these diagnoses without them being cu- coupled. <coughs> excuse me, without them being coupled with something else. Um, now, I just so happened to be fortunate that when I lived in Philly, I worked um, for a agency that dealt with wraparound services for cho- <coughs> excuse me for children on the spectrum. Um, I was an administrative case manager. So I have, I was tasked with the job of community resources and coordination and advocating for families and submitting treatment plans to the community (laughs) health state board. So I got really familiar. And at that time when I was doing that job, uh, he was about four. Um, And he, you know, of course, at that age wasn't, Exhibiting any signs of a but he definitely was exhibiting signs of ADHD. We felt he was too young to be diagnosed because we didn't want to have him labeled. Um, but having the knowledge that I had, I carried that with me. So for me, I probably picked up on it a lot quicker than my husband did. And that's not to knock Jay, um, just two different approaches to that. And I think as parents, you know, we don't. We don't want anything to be wrong with our children that's the first thing i don't I don't know a mother out there who or father out there, but when I say "mother who carries that child, you nurture that baby under your heart for forty weeks. You know what I mean you are this baby's life and this resource, and when you give birth, you're counting ten fingers and ten toes and two eyes and a nose and a mouth, and you're just so like, "Oh, I need to make sure everything's perfectly okay." that you never stop to think that this is even a possibility in your life. Um, So when I started to see the symptoms, little red flags were going off for me. Um, I did my own research, you know what I mean, armed with the knowledge that I already had. So one of the things to know about Tourette's in order to get a diagnosis, it cannot simply just be verbal tics because um, there are disorders where there are tics. And it's not necessarily Tourette's. Yeah. In order for there to be a diagnosis of Tourette's, you have to have verbal and motor tics. So before I even noticed the verbal tics in him, I noticed the um, physical tics in him. Um. And I say physical because he started to do this thing. We moved here in, what, 2014. So around the time he was in first grade, um, I started to notice um he would do this thing where he would like toss his head back, and it was weird when I saw him doing it, and I was just be like, well, why do you do that? and he couldn't really give me an answer and at the time he you know he wasn't thinking about it, and he also always was moving his hands like playing with his yeah. hands, doing gestures, movements his fingers his fingers really were itch. always just moving
1: like he said his fi- in between his fingers used to itch in between his toes would itch um and I think even then like i just thought it was him being just a weird little kid at the time like it wasn't really until he started doing the blinking like he he started blinking like right profusely that's the only way i can describe it he's just like blinking like crazy like and he would um what was the other thing he used to do? Like, he would make these weird grins because he said, like... He would grimace, almost. It would... But it it sometimes it would just be... It would be like a... I guess it is a grimace. It's considered a grimace. But that's how they would, term it. But he would say, him, like, it's, it was almost like his face itched or something like that. And that's why he did it. Like, there's always a itch or, or something, like a, a scratch or something that needs to be scratched or
0: itched right or And it's important to know that's actually how... That's how he was describing how he was feeling. He didn't, you know, he wasn't aware of what was going on. He was basically telling us, I got an itch that I have to scratch. And I'm sure as most of us could, um, you know, relate, when your back is itching and you can't reach it, you will risk looking as awkward as possible trying to get to that itch. Um, (laughs) Or ask whoever is standing next to you, like, oh, could you scratch my back? Or just like, ladies, you need to pat that weave because that scalp is itching and dry you know, you will do just about anything, dig a pencil, a pen or something to scratch that itch because we all know itching is uncomfortable. So for him, that's what he was equating his experience to. It was like, you know, mom, dad, I have an itch. I can't scratch. What ended up happening was his very first tick that I can recall was a whistle. Um, now interesting thing to know, he also used to make this little weird noise and I didn't really think much of it because in full disclosure, when I was his age when I was younger, probably around seven, I was thinking. Um and, you know, back then, Tourette's wasn't a conversation that, that was even had, um, especially not in females. So when I was thinking like the, you know, we just I had really bad anxiety as a kid. Interesting to note, my son also has anxiety, too. But, you know, my siblings used to make fun of me because I used to make this noise. And I also used to do this weird little grimace with my face and my head, too. So it's interesting to see the parallels in him now. Um, and for me, it was different, like I said, because I didn't have the diagnosis or anything like that. And I just kind of outgrew it. Um, although when my anxiety is extremely high, I do tick, still so make a noise. Um, but for him, I started noticing a noise and then it was the whistle. And he whistled for a while. And at first we were getting frustrated and we were like, oh, stop whistling. Like, And then, it, I don't know, it just, it started clicking in my head. Like, this is not him because he would be in tears. You know, we, we were getting frustrated with him. And then it started clicking in my head like, all right, this is not, this is not just him making noise. And I started putting the pieces of the puzzles together. And then I started doing what moms do best, which is hitting Google up <laughs> and started putting together two and two. And realizing, like, yo, he's hitting a lot of these markers. Like, let's take him to the pediatrician.
1: And it really didn't, to me, I don't think it really made sense until he started whistling during sentences. Like, there were times where he would hum and he would whistle, and it would just be like quiet moments where he was just humming and whistling <laughs> randomly. <laughs> Um, and it was. I, I personally do stuff like that, and but I've never been diagnosed with any ticks or anything like that. So, I, in a way, I kind of thought he was emulating me at times. But then it was when it was like, so dad, this happened the day at school. I went and I talked to this person. and We did such and such. And like when it when it started happening like that, I was like, wow, this is this is serious. And it's it's so funny because like I've tried to tried to you know talk to my mom about it because she's a therapist she has friends who's child therapist she has a master's degree in social work and when she would spend time with him she would be like are you sure that diagnosis is accurate because I never see it I've never heard him do it and what would happen is like we also realize like he's relaxed when he's comfortable when he's happy. You know, these things do not occur. It's in situations where he's high highly stressed or where he has to where he feels pressure to be quiet quiet. And has to sit still. You know, and still and like where he's basically fighting against every fiber in his being to be something that he is traditionally not is when the ticks ramp up.
0: Right. When that, also, um, I think it's important to note that with Tourette's syndrome, in boys and girls, they manifests at different times and in different ways. And in young men or young boys, it's common between the ages of um, basically 9 and 13 where you will see um, a heightened, a peaking of tics. Um, and as if biologically right on time, he turned 9 and we started seeing this increase. Now he is 10 now and we've had a year of these six and they don't stay the same. So there was him adding the S's onto the end of his words. The or it S's. It was s H's. Yeah. <laughs> like it's been, it's been, we've, we've watched these six evolve now as a family. We're accustomed to him now. Um, and it's not to say that at times it doesn't get on my nerves because it absolutely does. And that's just the honest transparency yeah. and being his parent, um, you gotta imagine what that's like. Um, and we still deal with extended family who don't understand it either. Like, right.
1: And it's hard because there's quite a few kids in my wife's family, in our family. Um, she has how many nieces and nephews? Well,
0: like, there's ten, my mom has 10 grandkids total.
1: Okay. So, it's so I have seven, seven other kids are and besides our three. And. They all have their own issues as well, um, but none of them have his issues. So, raising them, who are for the most part good kids, but every last one of them I can very safely say is hard headed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <You know, they're, laughs> to say the least,
1: they're hard headed. They can be mouthy, you know. So, we're used to dealing with them and disciplining them in a certain way, but then you come to him and he is the wild card kind of, you know, we, we can't treat him. Like we, we treat the rest of them. You you can't like yelling at him is not effective.
0: It's just going to increase his frustrations, make him tick worse. And one of the things um, that he has expressed and we're still learning as parents to deal better with um, is he does not feel heard. He does not feel like people listen to him. Um, And that the only time people say things to him is when he's making a mistake or if he's making a noise. And if you're a person who doesn't know him and you're not aware, he's very cognizant of adults staring at him um, because of his noises. And what makes it worse is we can explain it to an adult and we have a 50-50 shot of an adult understanding and moving on with their lives. But when he's in an atmosphere of kids, kids are brutal. Um, that's just the bottom line. Kids don't have the wherewithal or the capacity of compassion. Some right. children do. Let me not discount the children that do. But let's be wrong. On the whole, when we were children, we behave as children do. And that understanding, that compassion is not there that has to be taught. Yeah. Um, and so he, you know, he gets anxious in school because he's surrounded by kids who don't care about this terrestrial Well, he recently told me they don't believe him when he tells them. Right. So we're actually in the midst of coming up with an idea to, um, advocate for him on a, on a more, um, rudimentary level within his classroom. Um, and going in and sitting down and educating them doing like a cupcake and learn as long as the teacher allows that, because I don't want him to be in a situation where he he can't be socialized and I don't want to put him on the IEP either because you know he's not remedial he does have special needs he does have a 504 plan in place which allows for him breaks and things and out of the classroom but I think this is the part of the parenting when it comes to special needs that gets difficult because you really have to figure out it's a balancing act like we got to give our child exactly what he needs in order to for him to flourish in order for him to be successful and thrive in these circumstances and in these in these social settings where most kids, quote-unquote normal kids, are able to. He is not. Um, he experiences different forms of sensory issues, whether it's sex or food. So feeding him is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> um, and just trying to figure out, you know, emotionally how to be there for him. Yeah, um, and it's it's also
1: complicated further by the fact that he isn't just an, a kid with average intelligence. He's definitely above average, right. but it exhibits itself in very I, I don't want to say very unique, but unique in specific ways. Like he's a science freak. He's into technology. He loves to read, so he can understand things on a different level.
0: Level, He has a, a better comprehension than the average 10-year-old. And his power of perception is wildly ridiculous and has always been that way. <clears throat> He's the kind of kid that you punish him by taking his books away. Like, literally. And I hate that because I'm an avid reader and I know he gets that from myself and my mom. But, you know, he, he gets distracted, literally, by books.
1: Right. And he doesn't, he can't eat a meal without something to read. Right. Like, even if it's the cereal box, he will read the cereal box, you know, front to back, upside, downside. But he prefers to have a book at the table with him at every meal. So it's funny. Sometimes even that has its own moments of frustration. I don't don't know why, but it's like, why do you need the book? put the book away you know but at the same time you want to encourage and nurture the fact that he loves to read because at his age my parents were trying to do everything to get me to read and i was i was like nah i'm good i don't want to read (laughs) i'm good love enjoy
0: parents (laughs) i don't
1: want to read the comic books i don't want to read the magazines i don't want to read the books
0: i just but in so many ways i feel like he is my my spirit animal so to speak Because I was that kid. Um, I, if I didn't have, like, I would read anything. And by anything, I'm talking cereal boxes, magazines, the ingredients on whatever was available. Um, The thing that got me was him reading the
1: owner's manual for the car. (laughs) Like, he, like, read the owner's manual from front to back. And then he was excited when we got the new car because it was a new owner's manual. (laughs) And I think this one came with like two of them. So he really was like, he really would get in the car sit in the back and like read the owner's manual. Like, I think he did it for maybe like two weeks.
0: But these little nuances about him are the things that make me love him. The things that I'm just like, you're an amazing kid and it is, it's our responsibility to remind him that he's amazing. To remind him that he's great. And, you know the honesty though is when you are parents with multiple children and your own you know issues. It makes you know parenting is already hard enough. Let's let's not act like this is not a delicate trapeze art um, act because it is. You know whether you have one kid or ten, the parenting I believe inherently gets harder with the more kids you have because you got more diverse personalities. So. It gets harder with the more kids we have. And I think we compounded
1: our difficulties even further by the fact that we've had our kids so far apart. <laughs> um, there's a five-year age gap between the first two. On top of that, it's a 15-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy who shared like little to no common interests whatsoever. whatsoever. And then you have a 10-year-old and a 2-year-old so it's an eight year difference. Yeah, that's an eight year difference. The only, I think, commonality there is that they're boys. So
0: well, no, yeah. I'll say that you know, our baby looks up to his brother. That's the first thing. He loves yeah. him more than life itself, and I see certain similarities in terms of the baby's um, tenacity and his ambition, his his powers of perception. Are like scary to yeah. me. Like he feels like Dexter's laboratory smart. Like he's right, gonna be, right, right. or even more so, you like, might be Bobby, Stewie. I don't Bobby, know. Or Bobby's world. <laughs> like or he's like, ridiculously like, smart. And
1: not Bobby's world. What was the boy? Um, the cartoon he saw Action Max. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the baby had to stuff the stuffed animal and the toys and stuff like that, but it was really like a robot, a alien, like, and his crib turned into a rocket ship. Like that's kind of like him. Like he, uh, I feel like when we turn off the lights and put him to bed, he has a whole, whole other life. life. So he's He's
0: it. like boss baby, literally. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the So one. I would, I would definitely say I see certain similarities in there in those two in terms of their personalities. I just think the baby's a little bit more assertive than, no. um, he, you know, our middle child is. He's kind of like a hybrid of
1: them two, but like at the same time, he has his own. His own personality on top of that because he, I see similarities between both of our kids, and he, but he's like the perfect combination because he has the intelligence of his brother, but he's also like more outgoing, mm. you know, um, similar to his sister. So that this is going to be interesting because he's, he's very intelligent and he
0: has his mother's assertive. So my yes. assertiveness, huh yes. Because
1: we know you don't bite your tongue and
0: neither does he. You know, <laughs> I I can't even lie. And if y'all know me, you know how true that is, but I'm working on it. I'm always working probably. What do people like to say he's working on me?
1: Mm-hmm. God is me. He ain't through me. with me yet. He ain't
0: through with me yet, hopefully. I mean um, but I you know, we said all this to say, um, you know, we understand. Um as parents, parents who are going through it, um, oftentimes you know, I get a lot of people, they see me post pictures of me and Jay together and you know, they're just like, oh, you guys are cute, you guys are like this, that, the third. And I'm like, we absolutely are.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> <We are. laughs> like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, we are not without our own tribulations. and We're not without our own struggles. And you may see those happy, smiling kids, but the reality is raising kids in this world is difficult. Um, yeah. and when you're doing your best to try to protect your children, um, from outside influence, um, you're trying to teach them to be different from what you were. Um, and then you have these curveballs thrown into the mix where you happen to have a child who has, you know, additional needs. It can be taxing. Um, it can be difficult, and it causes stress in places that you don't even realize it causes stress. <clears throat> and one of the things that I would have to say I encourage is you, if you find yourself in a situation like this, keep those lines of communication open um, between you and your mates. Um, because one of the things I find that I'll tend to get into argumentative mode Um But it's usually because, you know, something's been building up um, because I've been holding something in, because I've been, you know, trying to figure it out on my own when that's not the course you should be taking. Your partner is your partner. Let them be your partner. Your job is to hold it together for these kids. Um, And I think that's a a pressure, you know, as parents that we we have to put on ourselves. Um, I don't think we can be perfect parents but we can definitely be great parents if we apply ourselves and that is not easy. Um, so I just want other parents who are in similar situations to know, like you've got options, there's resources out there. Um, if you work in your agency has the EAP, take advantage of it. Yeah. Do research, find out things about your child's conditions. Don't necessarily rely on just the doctor. Um, and find a doctor who's going to work hand-in-hand with you and your family. And if that doctor doesn't work, fire them. Y'all know that is like, my favorite thing now that, you know, I'm dealing with my own um, health issues is just learning that if your doctor won't get on board, if your doctor doesn't take your concern seriously. Because I'll be honest, his first pediatrician, like, didn't even want to diagnose him because, you know, it was interesting. He was a white doctor, but he was concerned about the stigmatism in school um and i get that yeah. um but i think it was more hurtful than it was helpful when we needed certain we needed certain help with things and we didn't have a diagnosis on hand outside of what we discussed
1: you're talking about Dr. Ed yeah well i will say this like even though he was hesitant to go too far with the diagnosis um he did do some things which did help with us getting a 504 plan for him for school uh, in terms of the adhd and i i did always appreciate the fact that he wasn't you know nowadays doctors be running these like pill mills like they like oh your kid has that here put him on this like he was hesitant to medicate him he was hesitant to go too far with the medication um and, you know, maybe medication wasn't the answer. Just, you know, just recently we decided we weren't going to do any medication anymore. Um, I'm scared of the idea of my son growing up being on pills for the first, you know, 18 years of right. his life before he's actually even reached his adulthood. Um, and granted, he hasn't been taking pills from day one. What did he start in like second or third? No, in like third grade, he started taking medication. I think it was yeah, yeah, because he had some some pretty big blow ups. Um,
0: emotionally, emotionally,
1: and like, cool. and he he transferred schools around that time, like from second to third grade. He went from the local public school to a more um. What curriculum a a school that's still public school but with a stronger curriculum stronger um rules and regulations you know they hold the kids to a different standard whereas the previous school he came from he had to be a little more aggressive dealing with just the the crowd that he went to school um so that was a transition period for for him and he kind of was losing control and we decided to try the medication i my concern came from you know what side effects you grew up with and also thinking like the medication wasn't really making a significant difference for me
0: and one Um, of the things to note is treating tics is a controversial thing because there are many doctors who believe that you can't really treat tics there's nothing that's going to make them go away. They might diminish them, but essentially, you learn that it has to run its course. the yeah. The idea is that they outgrow it um, as they get older. Some do not, um, but the ticks evolve basically. Um, so, with that, I the idea of treating his ticks, I'm more of I'm at a point now where it's like I'd rather just let them run their course. Yeah,
1: and we've also recently started trying um, krill oil, right? Which um has proven to have very positive effects on children with ADHD. Um, the problem I have with the medications is a lot of them, a lot of the medications that they use to treat the ADHD end up being stimulants no stimulants only further yep. ticks and things of that nature so they while they may resolve one set of <laughs> circumstances they create a whole nother set. Right. and at this point i'd rather just continue to go the natural organic Route, holistic approach. a more holistic approach rather than trying these medicines and stuff because even my doctor says something to me um at my last visit i myself have high blood pressure i've had it my entire life um but you know i woke up one day recently and i was like you know i got a two-year-old i can't afford to play with this like never mind the fact i have a 15 and a 10 year old who will be extremely upset if i just you know, had a stroke one day at work or behind the wheel. i to mention my wife and my mom and yeah, everybody don't forget else. About me. But um, <laughs> the fact that I have a child who could grow up without knowing me if I drop dead tomorrow um, really hit home with me. So started going to a doctor. I'm like, look, I was prescribed this medication. The last time I came, I didn't like it. I didn't use it. I need something different. And what she said is like, you know, because of the the diets that we have, you know, kids are getting high blood pressure and stuff so young that they don't even know how to treat them because the medications aren't being tested at that age. But it's also, what do you really want a 12-year-old taking medication for the next eight years of his life before he's even decided to start a family? Um. At that point, when he is ready to start a family, his reproductive organs may not even work because he's been medicated for so long, and we've continued to add on and modify the medications that he's taken, that all oh, the side effects have sterilized him. You know, it kills. It hurts our community, and in an extreme sense, it could really stop us from being reproductive, you know, we could stop our growth as a, a black culture, you know, so it's something that we need to do, all be conscious of, what we're putting into our bodies, well, you know, how it's affecting them. Get your kids checked for their blood pressure, because she told me a story about a 10-year-old and a 17-year-old who had high blood pressure, way worse than mine, and mine's is horrible, so, <laughs> like, that, that's crazy, like, that they were walking around as kids, you know, in stroke territory?
0: I will say that I think, um, having a combination of health issues in our family, um, you know, with all of us, um, it has made me more, um, you know, aware, more cognizant of our health and how we approach it. And it's not easy. Um, we live in a time where there's so many options for so many things. You've got, you know, one corner saying veganism, another saying keto, another saying vegetarian, another saying pescatarian, another saying paleo. Then you got AIP, paleo. Um, So there's so many. And then you got some who even say, you know, eat according to your blood type. But uh, even with all these diverse options, sometimes there are conflicts depending on what your health needs yeah. are. So trying to, you know, trying to do what's right for your body and your family's body. Um can be difficult when people when each of you might need something different. Um, And I even uh, not
1: to cut you off. I'm sorry, but I even heard something recently that was like, "Um, be careful switching switching to these like vegetarian and vegan diets because people were hurting themselves by a lack of um, nutrients like and vitamins and stuff like that." Doing that, and I forgot that used to be a thing where like. You had to take like supplements because yeah. you weren't eating the meats and such. And there would like be that.
0: plenty who argue, well, this amount of food has proteins and this and that in it. But one of the things you have to understand is that's operating from a place of thinking that the human body is perfect. Being that the human body is not perfect, every individual, every body, even ethnicity-wise, can, can really make how you eat um, different than another person and don't just don't just
1: <coughs> don't forget that the human body is not only perfect but the imperfect the things that we're Take eating in right, aren't, right, right, right. Aren't perfect either like our food our bodies have been modified and manipulated over time um just by our environments and you know uh, the natural uh you know generational things that occur but the food has also evolved over time and not necessarily in the best way, you know, not in a positive fashion. The stuff that we're eating nowadays is probably much, the tomato you eating right now, like the not tomato it, your grandfather was eating. But
0: talk to an elderly person, talk to someone who's older, they'll tell you that. It's funny, my mom will even say that a Twinkie tastes different. And what's crazy is I remember being a kid and my Nana opening up a box of Twinkies and feeding one to me in the grocery store or whatever. And they definitely do not taste the same now in twenty eighteen as they did back in nineteen ninety. So, but even beyond that, what about like obviously milk, that? milk, yeah, the whole like the whole shebang. Is. And it's one of those things where it's like eating now is literally picking the lesser of two evils. Because when I hear people screaming this organic, this organic, that, I'm like, yeah, I hear you, but grass fed cows. How helpful is it if the grass is still filled with pesticides and you know other things. You can't con you can't control. There's only so much that we can control. And so even when you think you're taking the best route, you have to understand that it's not without its own damages. So the piety that sometimes comes with people, I need y'all to drop all of that. Like the, all of it. The organics talk is
1: the craziest thing in the world because I have a friend who thinks like organics are everything. And I'm not opposed to that. I do try to eat organics when it makes sense. But organic has a different definition from product to product. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So that bothers me as well. Like, what defines organic isn't necessarily always... doesn't make it always the best thing in the world. So right now, I mean, I think it's important. Studies have shown plant-based diets are great for everybody in some form or fashion. Maybe not strictly by themselves, but we definitely need to consume more plant based items than we do anything else.
0: One of the things I I want to make sure everybody's very clear, we don't um we're not promoting one lifestyle over another because I feel like we're still learning. We're still figuring out what works for us. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm so battling bad eating habits. Um, so I would never pretend to be, you know, this know all about things. I just know that dealing with, you know, having to deal with my health now, I'm taking a different look at how we're eating, what we eat. Um, and it's hard. And that, and that's one of the things, and there's some people be like, well, it's harder to pay for co-pays. And I'm like, I'd be wanting to slap those kind of people. Cause I'm like some things, you know, I've met a lot of people. Um, so these support groups who have Hashimoto's who were smaller than me, probably had far more active lifestyles than I did, probably ate better than I did. And at the end of the day, they exhibit the same exact symptoms as me, including, um, heart problems and issues and high blood pressure because hypothyroidism affects those things. Hashimoto's affects those things. Joint pain comes with those things. Um. So it's one of those things that I really wish that people understood um, where it's easy to assume when a person is bigger that their health issues all stem from them being fat or whatever they, whatever you want to say. But people got to drop that self-righteous attitude, whether you are smaller or larger, because the bigger picture at hand is health. And no matter how many times you want to paint the picture that weight and health are synonymous, it's just not all the time. Um Well, I I remember seeing something a long time ago that was saying if, I think it might
1: have been on, uh, I'm going to tell you how far back it was, I think I saw it on Ricky Lake's talk.
0: Oh, good lord. And
1: uh, that was like her first talk show, so I don't know if there were any other versions of it that came after the fact but it was like when she used to have the little benches and stuff on stage or so, um, but when they, because that used to be the thing, right? Like, she used to always have, like, a bench on her show. I don't know but, about that. Like, I, mean, I just you,
0: remember her show being tacky it was for a little a, while. She
1: was trying to be, like, a, a young white Oprah at that time. Mm. That was what she was, that was really what she
0: was shooting Later for. on down the line,
1: that's what she was shooting for. Because so she, she had really be,
0: started out, what was his name? She, well, she started out like a Jerry Springer for real. What was the other guy's name? Like Richard Bay. She was, like, the female version of Richard Bay. Yeah, I think everybody was kind of on that wave, but I digress. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, the point was, like, there was a obese woman on there, and she was saying, like, I'm not even going to say she was obese. She's an overweight person, because um, obese would be taking it to a whole nother level. But what she was saying was that her doctors had told her that maintaining a steady weight was better than... Fluctuating from this big weight to the smaller weight, and back, in, basically the yo-yo diets and stuff like that, right. where you're going up and down, up and down. It's actually healthier for you to maintain a consistent weight. Um, I don't know how key that weight in all that health, health stuff is. I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be. But I think we all need to find whatever works best for us whatever we can stick to and adhere to, you know. And also be comfortable with having a cheat day. And maybe you don't always exercise the option for that cheat day. Maybe you take advantage of it less and less over time. But don't kill yourself because you've been eating good all week. And Saturday came and you was
0: like... See, but this is a dangerous Yeah, that cheese of diet culture when they talk about the psychological damage. This is why you have to change your view of what you're doing. One of my goals right now, you know, after spending a lifetime being told to lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, and me doing some pretty extreme things to lose weight, some pretty damaging things to lose weight, my goal is to focus on really feeling better and feeling healthy. And the way I look at it now is if weight loss comes it is a byproduct of me doing or making healthier choices Um, you know if I lose weight now I know that it's because my hormones are working properly Um, if I'm able to lose a few pounds here and there but I won't even allow myself to really get celebratory over those things because I know in the blink of an eye if I retain fluid you know that's 10 20 pounds right back on and I don't want to be the person who gets depressed because I'm not losing weight the way I think I should. I want to focus on how are your joints feeling today. And, hey, you know, how are your your flare ups doing, you know? Are you retaining fluid? Are you breaking out in the hives? You know, are you having days where you're just lethargic? You know, how are you feeling? Um, those are things that I want to focus on because if I focus on weight, it's gonna depress me. And Lord knows I don't need anything to exacerbate, you know, the battle that I'm already having. With mental health, that comes along with the issues that I'm dealing with. I think, you know, the narrative really has to change about how we view what is really healthy. If you let the world tell it, you're thin and you're white and you're blonde, you're living your best life. Um, But that's just not realistic for a lot of
1: people. They, they'll they tell you that even if you look malnourished, too. Like, <laughs> like you is, look great. Those horrible models that are drinking water and smoking cigarettes. They're eating for, cotton balls. For breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Chewing later. gum. That's And I, I if anything, I want that to go away. I would love to see. And that's the one thing that I did enjoy when A got into this old-fashioned, plus-size blogging community even though it's it has this ugly size to it. (laughs) That is a podcast for
0: another day. (laughs) Right. I do like
1: the fact of seeing people who are comfortable in their own skin who are different shapes, different sizes, but some of them are, you know, health advocates, some of them are models, some of them are fashion designers. Some of them are influencers. Like I like seeing the different, the different. I'd like seeing these people in these different set, these different paths of life. I'll say, um, because it's it's encouraging, not just to me but to others. Because for so long, you know, we thought like skinny and the model look was what it had to be, and now we see that. You can no, you can have your own successful whatever platform, brand, whatever. You can be a life influencer, not just a plus size community influencer. Um, people are taking the ball and running with it, and they're not letting their size define them or limit them. And I think
0: that's the key, you know. Right, and you know, I say to that. Um, when I was younger, I would, you know I was smaller. Um, but I, I'll tell you, I wasn't happier because I was smaller. I still had issues. I still had health issues that, you know, were burgeoning and I just didn't know, um, while I'm not, you know, my happiest right now because of physical, you know, limitations and things and body changes and the things I've experienced. I would just say, a, am probably my happiest now because of my faith, but B because, um, I'm not letting my weight stop me from living. Um, I'm not waiting until I'm an ideal weight to find love, to find happiness, to live. Um, And that is, I think, a culture that is perpetuated here in America. Whereas wait, you know, wait until you've lost that 30 pounds to wear those shorts. wait until you've lost that 50 pounds before you hop on a flight. Wait until you you know a hundred pounds down before you go searching for love or dating or any of those things. Like life can't stop because you have some extra pounds. If yeah. you want to lose the weight, great. You know I'm in support of anybody who wants to do what's right for them. But let's let's have a healthy view of how we do things. Don't kill yourself in the process. It shouldn't be everything you think of so much that it is consuming your 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 mental health and in, in how you like. There's a way to go about things and it's something that I advocate for heavily which is having that balance between mental and physical health you need it. And if you gain those 10 pounds like stop punishing yourself.
1: And make sure you <coughs> and make sure you're doing everything for the right reasons. I would say like okay, you don't don't lose weight because you think being a size 16 isn't nearly as fun as being a size six. All right. Or size 26. Isn't it sort of being a size six? Like people out here are still living their lives that and we've I've seen women of that size plus that are running around the country, having a good time, partying with people with the same
0: shout out to fat girls travel too. Y'all check yeah.
1: them out on Instagram. Shout out to all the fat girls and fat guys everywhere that are living their best lives. Um,
0: and and hey y'all, like fat folks enjoy exercising too. And, and as much as I hate the me too of the plus community, it's a real thing. We we are we're out here finding love and getting married and having children right. and working and building careers and you know exercising and living. You know, and as much as you guys may want to separate yourselves from fat people and what they do, because it scares you that you can have something in common with a fat person or y'all can live basically the same type of lives. The reality is that most of us do live those normal lives that you guys seem to think we don't. Um, So while we advocate heavily for, you know, healthy approach to things and healthy lifestyles, it's a work in progress, and I don't think anybody should beat themselves up for it if they're not where they think they should be. But when you think about where you think you should be, just remember whose standards are you trying to adhere to? That's what you need to be asking yourself. And if those standards um, are because you're trying to achieve what some famous person told you or what some influencer told you on Instagram, it's something you need to really unplug and really start thinking about the goals you're setting for yourself. And why you're setting them. And also, we're not
1: um skinny shamers either, so Nope. Shout out to the the Fatties and the Fit and Actives. Because we love everybody. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa. Not just the fit and actors because you can be fit and active and be a fatty. But shout out to anybody who's not a person of size if you are smaller. No, how about shout out to anybody who isn't hating on
1: anybody right. because of how big or, or small, small they, are.
0: they are. Because at the end of the day, those things don't matter. One is not better than the other, so I'm not the big girl who's gonna be out here saying, Oh, real men love thick girls. No. I don't believe in any of that. Like just they love do, yourself. They do. They do love us, but they also love big <laughs> girls, too. You know what I mean? Yes. There's enough room for all of us, yes. is my point. So shout out to anybody and everybody, regardless of size, who are just trying to live their best healthy life. Hey. Um, And, and we, we applaud that. We appreciate that. And we, um, we hope you guys do, too.
1: And as we wrap up, because we're running out of time here, y'all, shout out to... The parents out there who are dealing with special needs children who are doing everything in their power to hold them down and shout out to you parents who have children who are not just on the spectrum but who are like full-on autistic or whatever the case may be um i know i work with somebody who is who deals with that and it's a big part of their life. They're in all kinds of groups and communities, and they recently relocated, or they're in the process of relocating here. Um, and it, it's a big factor in their moving and how they plan where they live at, and all that type of stuff. Like, that support is needed. So, shout out to y'all who are doing your best for your kids. Um, any closing comments
0: yeah well we just thank you guys for joining us once again um, for a third week of a and j podcast in honor of this podcast we're going to drop some information about special needs um, resources and little facts and things that might be helpful on the instagram page which is again a underscore j podcast on instagram so we just hope everybody has a fabulous um work week and a, a great you know, start to the week, and we hope to see you guys back for episode four.
1: And I'm, I'm slapping somebody from Anchor if this episode does not load correctly <laughs> at the close of this. Peace, y'all. We love y'all. Thank you for listening. Ding. See you see on you episode number four. <laughs>